0: Keith, I want to do a co-shtick today because mm. we have both been beneficiaries mm. of a stretching and mm. breathing mm. technique uh, that comes mm. from a book, True to Form. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm good talking about it because you, sh- you can get it on Amazon like I did. Um, it just Listen, it's helped me rehab I, my knee. It's helped me rehab my body.
1: Yeah. I was I was down for the count b- about a week ago. Literally, I got out of bed. It was it, it. took me about fifteen minutes to walk down the hallway, and that's not an exaggeration. I couldn't stand up. I was in so much pain. My back was inflamed. I have, I have inflamed muscles around a disc, and I had no relief. Um, and so I just had to lie on a floor in the ground all day. And then Rodney sent me these stretches and I was able to to move freely. Now it's not perfect, it didn't heal me. It's not, somebody, but it, it gave me relief and it helped and I've been doing it every day and it's helping each and every day. It's just, it's outstanding stuff. So check it out, true to form, highly recommend it.
0: We're back. Uh, this is season four and we're we're talking about shared American ideals and uh, look, there's many shades to America and we're trying to we're trying to slice through it. We're trying to cut to it. We're trying to find the commonality. Imagine that more in common.
1: All of those things from sea to shining sea. But seriously, uh, today we have so many conversations. We converse with family. We converse with friends. And I think a lot of times we forget the root of how to relate and connect is, is compassion. We want to be your guides in, in just anchoring in more compassionate conversation with anybody that you talk to, agree or disagree.
0: And today we're with Jason Savak. Some people say Cywagg. And he's okay with that, uh, but it is actually Savak, um, and we we get into a lot of things. We we get into politics. We talk. He's very interested in politics, and we talk about it. We talk about his background, growing up as a not overly privileged young man, growing up in two different. Well, privileged in one world and not privileged in another world, and how that formed and molded him into where he is now we talk about changing political parties or having to vote for one political party that you don't necessarily support because it's the only way to get the candidate that he cared about Um, we talk about the intricacies and the the kind of the confusion that can happen in our in our current system around that since it is two-party um and yeah so those, those are some of the main things we talk about we really really enjoy this conversation we want to have jason back uh probably gonna do some more content with him later because he's got some big ideas and hopefully some of his plans for the future pan out uh but yeah before we get so, going,
1: and and hopefully this interview doesn't hurt those those chances right um but seriously before we get into this awesome conversation with jason just a reminder check us out at moreincommonpod.com or you can find all things more in common pod related including our consulting um and then as you're listening to this, and if you like this episode, give us a like. You know, leave a comment. If you if you're feeling a little punchier, and if there's someone in your life that you think could benefit from more compassionate conversations and hearing people's stories, and just you know, hearing from these wonderful people, share it out. Let them know we exist, and let's let's uh, spread the cause of anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation.
0: Before we get into it, I just want to talk about Audible.com because I love it. I do audiobooks all the time when I'm driving around L.A. It's how I love to, it's my preferred way to get books in, frankly. Specifically, I want to talk to you about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. It's coming to Audible July 15th. Now, I've put off reading this graphic novel and the series of novels because, well, I just got a lot going on. But I'm going to get it. It's in my pre-order list right now. Uh, You should think about it. If you've never used Audible, you get a free book and you can go to our website and click the link and use that to get your free book. We do get a little on the back end and we appreciate you for the support. So Neil Gaiman, I would also say Norse Mythology, really good book. The Audible book is actually read by Neil himself. I really appreciate how he puts his personality into the writing. A little bit funny, Uh, some new stories or, or twists, new twists on stories. Uh, from the Norse world that my fantasy nerd self likes.
2: Companies like Walmart, I don't know if we're allowed to call out companies uh, by name here, but companies like Walmart who pay their employees so little and cap them right before getting uh, health benefits, like cap their hours right before getting health benefits. And then those folks have to get subsidies from the government That doesn't mean the government is subsidizing those people. I look at that as the government is subsidizing that company. Ultimately, I just think the meritocracy just comes from what you're told constantly in in American society that if you work hard enough, you'll be successful. And we know that that's not true because we know that there's systems in place that specifically their goal is so that, you know, the status quo remains how it is you might move up a little bit but you're not going to get too far because that would necessarily mean taking something from those in power and you know power is not going to concede power
0: Welcome back everybody this' is the more common podcast I am one of your hosts Rodney and today we are with Jason Savak. Jason currently manages communications for a nonprofit in the entertainment industry but before that he was in DC in the belly of the beast, handling communications and marketing for political organizations. A time he often looks back on simultaneously with discomfort and gratitude. These days, outside of the office, Jason uses his communications background to assist community-based organizations and activist groups with outreach and messaging as a way to stay involved in local issues and support progressive causes in his own community. Jason is from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, home of the 1985 M.O.V.E. move, bombing, where the mayor of the city ordered a bomb dropped on a city block to evacuate a group of black liberation activists. An event that had a lasting impact on his worldviews and helped shape his political journey. Jason, thank you for joining us. How are you?
2: I am very well this morning. How are you guys?
0: I'm doing well. Doing really well.
1: I'm excited to. Today's learn. a good day. I Feel very relaxed today, which Jeez, is good. At
0: it. I'm giving you, you got the first. Yeah, question. let's
1: be relaxed about this first question. So, in our prep call earlier this week, mentioned to you that this season is all about shared American ideals. In that, you had mentioned your ideals haven't changed, but the practicality of them have. Um, what's changed and why?
2: Um, I, so my, my ideals are still for, uh, equality and access to, um, solid institutional, uh, systems and, um, you know, doing things based on a meritocracy, um, making sure that that everybody has an opportunity to reach their highest potential. Um, Previously, I came from a place of being very um, anti-government, anti-establishment, and um, kind of very um, from a a very libertarian perspective of, you know, government just stays out of people's lives. I've seen government do really bad things to people we're still seeing government do really bad things to people. And I think that that colored a, a, a distrust of government in general um, and power and influence. Um, so practically speaking, I've, I've supported you know more libertarian policies, hands off, all of that. Uh, over time, when you're involved in communities and you're seeing things not changing and you're seeing... How a lot of those ideals that I believed in, or, or not ideals, ideas that I believed in, um, actually hindered the, the the upward mobility and forward movement of people, um, and kind of kept the status quo in place. That forced me to reevaluate where I was coming from and my practices and um, how 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 it actually is a Detriment to people. Um, you write you mentioned in in the bio uh, in the intro that um, uh, when I look back at my time in d c, that I look back on it with discomfort and gratitude. And the discomfort is because I had that different viewpoint back then. I had, I had that, I worked for some libertarian organizations. I did a lot of work on criminal justice reform and ending the drug war and occupational ending occupational licensing to help uh, economic mobility. But at the same time, those organizations were also supporting economic issues that were detrimental to those communities, um, things that impacted education, things that impacted other areas of life. Um, and I regret that, I, I regret working Uh, on those with those organizations even though I didn't work on those particular issues um, I still regret that I was a part of it on the but on the gratitude side of it 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 did propel me to be more introspective and to take a look and and second guess where I was at Um, and I think that is really a blessing because that's really how you grow Um, and and it was uncomfortable and 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 it's still kind of uncomfortable when I think about it but um, it's also really important because that's how I know that um, I'm I've, I'm evolving as a person, um, and hopefully, I can use that insight to to help things in the future.
0: That's a int- well. There's some stuff there. Um, there's a, a lot of th- stuff there. I want to attempt to do something different than we normally do, since we are talking American ideals and you talk a little bit about your switch and i happen to know that uh at one point you were a registered republican and then you are no longer i'm kind of curious to learn about that journey so i want to talk a little bit about your politics Mm -hmm. first and then get into and actually along with it get into like your background and what enabled you to actually be aware like what what enabled that for you like how that happened and you know get into your background some on that but um it's kind of a, a fascinating like i didn't realize that until i don't know it's like seven months ago or whenever when rachel told me oh wow that, that you that you'd switch i've actually voted on both sides like i'm not registered for either but i've voted on both sides of the ticket and actually often do because i don't respect party lines but um this isn't about me it's about you <laughs> what's that journey been like for you like about know, all of us <laughs> <it's> a, <laughs> so you you were you said libertarian background you were a registered republican you work in a dc like talk us through like kind of how you got there you were aligned with the the right side of the the spectrum and then moving yeah
2: it's it it's complex i think um so I only registered Republican. Uh, full disclaimer, because um, I was never actually a Republican, but I did have to register Republican because we have a very twisted uh, election process in this country, where in many states, in order to support a candidate in a particular party for president, you have to be a member of that party, even if like you're not a member of
1: that party. So when you say support, can you? Yeah.
2: So I I was a very in 2008. In 2012, um, I was pretty active with the Ron Paul campaign for president. Mm. Um, Republicans did not like Ron Paul, um, no. and uh, neither did Democrats. No, matter. Yeah. well, nobody nobody likes
0: Rand Paul. Line, I mean, they if they align, let's <laughs> line up with the Republican side of the house. <laughs> so
2: or? no, because because the thing with the thing with Ron and and libertarians in general, I think, is that. Um, they they really do want like they believe that government should step out of your life and like you should yeah. make decisions okay. on drug choices and abortion choices and in every in way, every, right, right. E- and right yeah. and and even militarily like they're very non-intervention foreign policy which right. um is not isolationism we can get into that later but um and so you know when you've got the military industrial complex supporting both parties and when you've got corporate interests supporting both parties and they're trying to get laws passed that benefit themselves. And like everything at the end of the day, both parties are operating from the same puppet masters, I think. Um, And you've got somebody like a Ron Paul or a libertarian who really doesn't have friends in the corporate world, doesn't have friends in the military industrial complex. Um, So I wanted to support him, and the only way I could was to register. I was registered as an independent, and I had to register as a Republican to vote for him. Um, At the time, California...
1: Oh, in the primary? Yeah,
2: because at the time, California was not uh, even semi-open. I think they were a closed primary back then. And then during one of those elections, I'd I'd moved back east, and uh, the state that I was in was actually a closed primary. So I had to be Mm -hmm. registered. Um, yeah, I switched that registration in 2016 when I supported Bernie Sanders in his primary nomination against Hillary Clinton. Um, so I went from and again, like I wouldn't have even switched to Democrat. I would have switched to independent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as you learn about you know your ideals versus practicalities, we, can complain about a two-party system and we can work to change a two-party system, but we are a two-party system right now. And you still have to play the game in the rules that exist. You can change the game once you're in it, but until you're in it, you can't do anything. So, um, so yeah, so I I did switch to Democrat to support Bernie in the primary. Um, And then from that point forward, I just kind of dug more and more into Um, progressivism and and those policies uh, and just compared them to things
1: that I was doing before. You said before that your ideals of equality, access to institutional systems, meritocracy, the idea of them or the ideal of them hindered the upward mobility of others. What is that observation? Can you explain that a little bit? So I think,
2: you know, in a system where everything is based on racism and oppression and classism, there can' there's no such thing as meritocracy, right? So like, you can't have your libertarian utopia in a system that is built on the antithesis of that. It's, it's very naive to think, oh, if we just pull government out, somehow the system changes. The system doesn't change. The foundation doesn't change. We have a capitalist system and capitalism necessarily requires disparities between poverty and and wealth. And you have to have a group of people impoverished and and middle class and lower because they're the people who are going to work for low wages that are going to increase your bottom line, which is kind of the whole point of capitalism. So if that's what our system is built on, whether it's slavery or whether it's uh, indentured servitude or whether it's minimum wage laws that do not provide any realistic living salary. Prison um, labor. Yeah, prison labor, exactly. Um, if if that's what our system is based on, you can never actually be a libertarian utopia. So I, I, I just realized at one mm. point, like this is a pipe dream. This is this is like nice in... in dystopian fiction or whatever but this is not reality the reality is we have a corrupt system that requires poverty to exist and then you add the racism into that so the natural default is okay well we have to have poor people to make this system work let's just make sure that those poor people are brown and black people because then that also helps our racist system as well and then they they go hand in hand Um, and I was unaware of that, you know. Like I, I, I have a sister who's a black woman, and she would tell me things, and I would, like typical white male fashion, I would be like, mm, "I, I don't know. I don't think you're right. I think that that's just your perspective." Meanwhile, she's like, "I'm, I'm kind of living this. I, I, think I know what I'm talking about here." Um, but that's that arrogance that that you have when you don't when you don't know, um, and and when you get into a disc, an uncomfortable area of, of being called on something that forces you to to think a little bit more about what you're doing and where you're at um so i think having those conversations was a changing point forcing myself to realize like yeah this is great idealistically but in practicality it just doesn't it doesn't work so now i have to work within the system that exists and you know until we dismantle the capitalist system um we have to work within it so that's that's i guess that's how it changed i don't know it's if any cool. of that makes sense to you guys
0: it make, no it all <laughs> makes perfect sense and i've got like five questions out of it i want to mm-hmm. ha- ask you so these values like the things that we were just talking about the ideals like what how, how did you form them growing up did You get them from your parents? Did you get them from other people? Like, where did you come into these? Um,
2: I got. I I grew up in a um, in a public housing development outside of Philadelphia. Um, and I I I would not have known it at the time that I was being shaped that my that my perspective was being shaped. For me, I was just a kid like in the neighborhood going to school. Um, but I think between just my general surroundings and like what I saw and what I didn't see, my my parents were divorced. Um, so on the weekends I'd go with my father and I would have a different lifestyle on the weekends. And then during the week I would come back and I would be back in in the hood. And, And I was, I had a benefit that other kids didn't have. And that I actually saw outside of that neighborhood. Because I went with my father on the weekends and we went on family vacations and like we did things that my other friends just didn't do. And I was very aware of differences without understanding what those differences necessarily were as like a 10 year old or 11 year old. I was aware that there was a different experience that I had on the weekends versus what I had in the week. As I got older and I started to, you know, put stuff together, you know, you put, you work it all together. Um, and, And again, in the intro, you mentioned um, the MOVE bombing. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I think that is a big part of my distrust for government. I mean, you you watch a city official literally order the dropping of a bomb on a city block to, to evacuate black liberation activists. And at the time I was a kid, I was like, I was less than 10. So, I mean, I definitely didn't understand the politics of it, but it's something that Philadelphia never forgot. And and you do remember that as you get older and you start to think like, wow, if government has the ultimate authority to, to drop a bomb on people of their own people, then government has the authority to do anything it wants. And that definitely led that sort of thinking and investigation as I got into college and started studying politics. Um, that definitely shaped a more libertarian ideal because I just didn't trust government. I mean, I watched our city drop a bomb on itself. I can't trust government when I see that. If they'll do that to them, they'll do it to me. Um,
0: you know, I later to, on... That, that, I'm sorry, real quick. That thought process... I don't understand why that doesn't exist for more people. Like mm. if the cops will treat, I mean, cause like I'm cha- completely changing the subject, That's but not. trying to make a corollary, like it, cause cops do, do kill unarmed white men and women. Um, what we see are the, the black ones and it's just dis- at a disproportional rate, but like if they'll do that to them they could do it to me like why and get away with it like Mm -hmm. why or to my brother or to my cousin or my sister or whomever and it 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 is maddening to try and wrap my head around why people can't grasp what you just laid out so eloquently
2: I I don't know I mean I'm not a sociologist and I, I I don't know I I have some thoughts that you know Americans in general, um, while we we can be very caring and thoughtful, we can also be uh, have a, a, a strong lack of empathy until an issue impacts us.
1: Um, I was just talking to my wife about this last night.
2: I think you see it a lot with the healthcare. I think you see, it a, think you see a, a really good example in the healthcare system, right? Like everybody's off, like, we shouldn't have universal healthcare. We shouldn't have universal healthcare, but then you find yourself in a situation where um you might need some universal health care and all of a sudden you realize how messed up our health care system is and now because there's a me factor to it you you care about this issue and realize that that our our way of doing it is wrong right and i think we do that a lot i don't know if it's because we have two oceans on either side of us that separate us from most of the rest of the world. Whereas like folks in Europe are so connected, uh, like they're next door neighbors to one another. So like you have to be more cognizant of of other people and be more empathetic. I don't know if it's that, I, I, I don't know what the reason is, but I do think that that we have a tendency to think this can't happen, this doesn't happen to me. I'm not breaking any laws. If a cop is shooting you, it's prob. I mean, you're not just an innocent person something you must have done something to be in that situation so just don't do that something what i hear a lot from people is like well you should have just complied but if it happened to them mm-hmm. then it then they would understand like i did comply and i was still tased or shot or whatever
1: we live in a i mean america the the is based on individual performance and and individuality, right? And as a result, there are good and bad things that are associated with it. And we don't think of the community in our actions. We're taught to believe I built this up, you know, the bootstrap argument. I built it up. We don't think about all the people that helped us out along the way, the luck that might have happened or played into whatever success that we had as hardworking as you may have been. The, the construct. So as a result, like you look at COVID, there are confirmed 3.5 million die, um, positive cases, right? that's That's been tested. That's 1% of our population. So even if you a- extrapolate that out to double it as it relates to people who didn't get tested or people who are carriers asymptomatic, let's say it's 7 million, that's still 2% of our population. So guarantee the vast majority of us don't know anybody with COVID. And even further, we probably don't know anybody that's died from it, or we probably don't know anybody that's been really, really ill from it. So as a result, people are like, well, it's really not that big of a deal. And it's... Kind of is because it's like I'm not in the hospital every day looking at ICUs that are overrun and that are on 100% capacity, infecting our healthcare workers and all these other things. I'm not seeing it. So it must
0: not be as big of a problem. And even with that, uh, to the healthcare example with like universal healthcare, I think it was John Oliver, but it might have been Trevor Noah. I can't remember. They found a guy in like <clears throat> Kentucky who was literally alive because of the Affordable, Affordable Care Act. Act.
1: But was, you can't call it Obamacare because he do not want it. <laughs> it was, it was he's uh, literally it was, it was alive for him. I was Trevor like, Noah. I'm Ivory. voting yeah. for
0: Trump. And like the report, the person interviewing was like, but you realize that he wants to kill this drug that is like this $1,500 a week drug that he couldn't afford. But he's like, nah, I'm going to vote for Trump. I It'll be okay. He's not really going to do it. Or,
1: yeah. I just, and then he tried. Um, I, I have a. Oh, go ahead, uh, Jason. I,
2: I just think, I, I have to say this because you mentioned the, the bootstraps the ideal or, or whatever. And I think that's that, that's so on the money. And it's so, the problem is that people don't realize not everybody has boots. And to tell somebody that they have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you are making the assumption that they're on the same ground that you're on. Right. And the reality is in this country, And it's funny because the founders of the country did not believe in a centralized system for money, right? They really, they they didn't. And here we are with a very, we might not have nationalized banks. We might not have a, a, an officially central. I mean, we do have the federal reserve, which is centralized, but, um, we still do have very centralized money. It's just centralized within certain individuals in the nation. And then the wealth stays within those families and those corporations and those, those people, um, and then those people tell other people, oh, well, you should, you need to just work hard like I did. And it's like, okay, well, you didn't come from 400 years of oppression. You didn't come from, a, a, a ghetto or a poor neighborhood or from a school district that's funded on tax dollars and a poor neighborhood that doesn't have many tax dollars. Like to say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is such a, a lazy way out. Of having a real conversation about it because we we really don't all have
0: boot- and, and it's yeah. it's also full of I mean, so, it's full of all kinds of hubris, including the fact that nobody does did it alone everything alone. You, it's just not even yeah, possible. It's, like, impossible. It's, right. it's completely disregarding every single employee you ever had or anybody that you, you ever partnered with. If you're- or-
1: did it alone? You would probably, and and I don't mean this flippantly. You would probably kill yourself well, from isolation. It's also right.
2: It's also hella ironic because you have politicians talking about this sort of thing, and literally, you cannot get anything done in politics alone. You have to have yeah. help to get it done. Yeah. But yeah. it's yeah. But it's these same people who are saying you got to do it yourself, like. You're not, in, you're not, you not even in office to vote because for of yourself, you. right? You're <laughs> not even in office because of yourself. It's, it's
1: impossible yeah. to do it alone. So I, so I want. Before there are a couple of places I absolutely want to go, in, but I want to go back to your background, tying to this bootstrap argument, the meritocracy of value, the ideal, going back and forth. Um, what was your perspective? of so you lived with your mom full-time i don't want to presume any positive or negative relationship with either parent your dad lived a different life you went on vacations and did all that stuff how did meritocracy come from that dichotomy
2: um i think that was just what was drilled into me i don't i don't even think it's it's really that deep it's just you go to school and you're taught you know you work hard and you'll succeed. You do this and you'll succeed. Mm. So you believe that. I mean, that's that's what you know. We're not taught the, the bad history of the U.S. We're taught all the. But good did stuff.
1: your mom work hard, and you were still in public housing?
2: Um, she worked when she could. Um, she mm-hmm. had uh, a few. Um, she had a few issues. So um, she not, nothing like drugs or, or anything like that, but just um, some anxiety and mental health issues. Um, so she worked when she could. um, But she always, I mean, she always made sure we had what we needed. She always made sure that, um, uh, like we never, we never went hungry. We never went out of electricity. We never went without clothes. We never went without anything like that. People had it much, much, much worse than, than I had it even in, even in that neighborhood. Um, it was not like I was living in abject poverty. We were just poor. Um, my dad was, uh, an educated guy. He was a civil engineer. He uh, he had a college education, he had a master's degree. I mean, like he was, so for him, it was all about his, he was, I'm a first generation American on his side of the family. And his family was very, you know, you, you work hard at school, you work hard at college, you do this, you know, if, if he got a B plus, it was like, why isn't it an A? So that sort of family. And I just think, you know, my mom wanted me to have a better life than what we had. So she instilled working hard on me. And my dad did the same thing. Um, But ultimately, I just think the meritocracy just comes from what you're told constantly in in American society, that if you work hard enough, you'll be successful. And we know that that's not true because we know that there's systems in place that specifically their goal is so that, you know, the status quo remains how it is you might move up a little bit but you're not gonna get too far because that would necessarily mean taking something from those in power and you know
0: power is not going to concede power well, and the best and the best lies stem from truth right, right like right if you're white and male it's 100% true. right right if and, you're white it's partially true if you're black it like if you work hard you're better off than if you didn't work hard but it still doesn't guarantee where you're right. to go.
1: Yeah, and, and and people have centralized power or the belief of power, and power is a centralized construct right. that says I have it, you can't have right. it. It's like if more of us said, "Okay, you have your power, I'll get my own." I mean, government changes that dynamic considerably, but we're not all trying to be the president of the United States, right? Guarantee most of us aren't, right? right? I would not want that job. Um, I would not either. <laughs> yeah and
2: um. so so I think that's where and also um, it's something that I don't think I, I, I'm sure, Rodney, you don't know. Um, I was a high school dropout, so I um, I went through a, a a thing in in my like mid teens. Um, I wouldn't even call it rebellious. I was just very like, I was coming to terms with my sexuality. I was dealing with the death of my father. There was like all sorts of stuff going on in my world, and I just had, you know, very low self esteem and 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 heart just issues. Um, so I dropped out of school, almost like just to be done with this part of life and get to work and do whatever and. It was the worst decision I ever made, and within like six months of working my butt off from like five AM at a factory uh, or at a warehouse—not a factory, a warehouse—it, um, I just realized like, wow, I made a terrible mistake, and like my my mom would constantly tell me, you know, you can still go back, you can still go back. This doesn't have to be a permanent thing, and I did go back, and I I ended up finishing high school at pretty much at the same time as my class. I just did it homeschooled instead of in, in the actual class. Um, and I think that then reinforced the idea of meritocracy. I I think that it reinforced the concept of, I made a mistake. I had to own the mistake. I had to work past the mistake and then I can be something. And again, like, sure, that's true, but that's because I had family that were pushing me, that reminding me that I am worth something, that I can change things, that I, that I don't have to just live with this mistake, I can get past it. Um, so, you know, when, when I think of meritocracy now, I think it doesn't exist. I, I don't actually believe in meritocracy because I haven't seen it. Um, but my experience when I was in the thick of it, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees. Like I'm in the thick of it, it seems like it's meritocracy, but I'm unaware of all the other factors that are actually shaping the decision that I'm making, um, and it took a long, it took many, 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 many years for me to to realize that. Like I, like probably like twenty years for me to actually make that realization. So
1: there's this um, weird in all of what you just said, and something I hadn't thought about. So I'm I'm evaluating a new thought um so bear with me Dangerous. on the principle of meritocracy like meritocratic approach is based on the social um expectations of individuals the reality is meritocracy exists in that if you work hard at whatever it is you want to get out of life you'll you'll be fine right like and but it's where it breaks down socially is what is what we put value on having more money well if i work hard to get more money i'm going to have a much easier chance than someone who grew up in the projects who doesn't have boots mm-hmm. who all of these variables yeah um teaching individuals that ha- this is just I think where we break down socially is that everything is so financially driven and it's driven based on like the reality. Meritocracy, you worked hard, you got your high school diploma. That could be enough for somebody. Yet we think, oh, it's got to go further. It's got to go further. And if I think about, you know, hunting and gathering, if I woke up and said, all I want is one elk today, I go out and I hunt that elk. And I get that elk and I work hard to get it. I'll get it. And if someone else says, I want four today and they wake up and they say, I'm going to go get four elks and they get four elks, maybe they don't, but they're going to work hard and maybe they do. It's when that person who wants four takes your rifle away from you or your bow or your tools to hunt and says, because I want four, you can't have one. And that's the structure that we live in, mm-hmm. and that's why meritocracy Absolutely. is messed up. Like it's because the people who want more than they need suddenly say, "That's all there is." There aren't five elks right. out there; there are only four. So if you get one, I can't have and, four. So I'm going to take your tools away from you to do it. And
2: you know what? It's it, that's that's totally true. And I I think you know I don't believe I, we're we're a smart species of. Uh, of animal, right? Like we we can do a lot of things that I can't imagine that we can't figure out a way to have a system where there's economic profit uh, tied to also systemic justice and economic justice. Um, And I guess an example of, of that is... Okay. If you want to have a true meritocracy, you know, you have to understand that there are different classes of people with different economic backgrounds and they're going to have different ceilings and they should be able to climb up and get ahead based on doing hard work. Now, if the system is set up to not to, to, there is a ceiling and they can't get past that ceiling, such as, you know, a minimum wage that's $12 an hour, um, Or seven fifty still in many places. Uh, Fifteen here. And companies like, you know, companies like Walmart. I don't know if we're allowed to call out companies. uh, Sure, go for it. But companies like Walmart who pay their employees so little and cap them right before getting uh, health benefits, like cap their hours right before getting health benefits, and then those folks have to get subsidies from the government. That doesn't mean the government is subsidizing those people. I look at that as the government is subsidizing that company because yeah. that company should be providing
0: that stuff and they're and, finding And the way frankly, not- they're subsidizing. Sorry, they're subsidizing them on both ends because they're they getting are, more tax breaks yeah, than yes. regular individuals, and then and, they're avoiding it on the front too.
2: Right. And those folks want to work hard, and the reason that you know they're capping their salary and figuring out all these loopholes, ways to make, it, so they're trying to create their bottom line. If you wanted to make something more meritocratic, or you wanted to um, even the playing field a little bit, and this is this is slightly off topic, I'm sorry, I will tangent Joe, a know. lot, and oh, I apologize. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're smart enough people that we could find a way to tie the highest earning salary at a company to the lowest earning salary of a company. You
0: so just, you just noted right there. I think you just. You're 100% correct. We're smart enough to. We went to the damn moon, if you believe that. Some people don't. But uh, but the thing you said is, if you wanted to. If we you don't want wanted to. to. No,
2: we don't want to. And, that goes, and here's goes the thing, to, too. But that goes back to the, the idea that for capitalism to work as a system, it you is. have to have this group of impoverished. You, I have to walk outside and see homeless people. I have to walk outside and see people working for ten dollars an hour. It, it has to exist because I can't look in the other direction to the hills and see the twenty-four million dollar homes without seeing the homeless crisis outside. They, they and and they it it's not an inability to change. It is an unwillingness to change. It is an, you know, I, I, I use the term capitalism. I, I I tend to just blanket it and I should I know better than that and I shouldn't, but but it gets very difficult to start talking about crony capitalism because only, yeah. crony capitalism is what we actually have. But I'm the reason I tend to not differentiate the two is because I do think that you have necessary conclusions. And I do think that capitalism I think crony capitalism is a necessary conclusion to capitalism because Mm. if the goal is profit, if the goal is using money to, to work smarter, not harder. If the goal is the idea of using money as capital to create more money for yourself through less work, then you necessarily need, like if I'm a shoe salesman and you're a shoe salesman and we both have shoe stores next to one another and I have enough money to make a machine that can make shoes five times as fast as you i'm going to use my capital to make this machine that's going to make shoes five times faster than you i'm going to have more product which means i'm going to be able to lower my price which means people are going to come to me and, and buy for me you're probably going to go out of business because then you don't have that capital and then i'm going to buy your shop and you're going to work for me and that is capitalism when that mm-hmm. becomes crony capitalism it's when you have people like all of these different industries like pharmaceuticals military all of these different groups then funneling money into an election cycle and into government and politics and getting policies and legislation written for them
1: light bulbs yes
2: and it's and it's suddenly it's like that's yes that's crony capitalism which you know the the libertarians that, that I know from back in the day would all say like, yeah, chronic capitalism is terrible. I just take it a step further and say, well, capitalism will always lead to that because that's just the end goal. And to be quite frank, I don't think the ism matters. I don't think if it's right. communism, socialism, capital, it doesn't matter. It's obviously, yeah. Leaders yep. are, are human beings. And yep. they are. Yeah. That's, I have just come to the conclusion that democratic socialism makes the most sense from a safety measure because you do have the socialist aspect of, of safety nets. And if you look to Europe and you look at how well they've handled COVID because of the structures that they have in place, businesses did not go under to the degree that they went under here. People did not go broke to the degree that they went here. They're not suffering to the degree that they're suffering here. And it's because of socialist system, the socialist um uh, foundations that I think have protected the country or the countries here we don't have any of that and at the same time we're still taxed we're still paying a bunch of money we're still funding the the system but we don't get an education you're, you're, you're paying taxes on top of taxes you're paying your student loans on top of your student loans you're paying for your health care deductibles on top of that you're paying for you know all of these things if you don't have a bunch of money already, it's, it's very, very, very difficult. And I think democratic socialism lets you elect people who, yes, we are a united country. And in that sense, we need some nationalist policies and some, not nationalists. we need some socialist policies that protect the nation. Um, but I think if you, the electoral process keeps it from running amok to to the degree of like a communist or a full on socialist status. Cause at that point you just have the elites making decisions. Just like by the way, we have right now. Like Like, it's it's a different method, but it's the same the it's the same ultimate
0: end. The thing that I think underlies all this, Keith, your example with the elk that cracked me up mightily. But it was it was spot on. And what you're saying, (laughs) Jason, like I agree that, that the outcome of all of these systems is the same, but I think the, I think the reason is human nature. If it, we gotta build a system that takes into account the 180 plus types of bias that we know that exists in the human mind. Like if we don't account for that, we build it into the system and the system perpetuates all of the things that we are just built, we're hardwired to do. And that is survive. That is, you know, like we kind of talked in the, the lead up to this. And I, I was kind of curious because you said you're in the, in the lead up. We kind of talked about the black part of town, mm-hmm. um, but I'm curious. You said your dad's first generation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. From- he was born. He was born outside. So my, my grandparents were, uh, they were in concentration camps in Germany um, and mm when they they actually did survive my my grandmother had some kids two of them survived one did not um and when they got out of the camps um she then had my father in a in a displaced person camp outside of berlin like about two hours out of berlin and they immigrated here to the states uh and so i was the first one born in the states on on that family um so yeah, first generation and with, you know, some crazy like they f- they, they fled uh, uh, persecution and, and a
0: holocaust basically. So you just meant like Jewish neighborhoods. So moving here, immigrating here, Jewish neighborhoods, Polish neighborhoods, Ukrainian neighborhoods, like those all still exist. You go to <laughs> Little Italy, you go to, you know, there's the whatever part of town, uh, but the difference, and Keith and I, Keith has heard me say this like a hundred times and we talk about it, like the difference for black folk is that like e- you, there's a black part of town but like that part of town can never assimilate into other parts of town or walk right. through another part nope. of town and seem like it's from that part of town right right and, and that,
1: governments that part of town is often forced yes through oh, yeah. redlining gentrification whatever you however whatever system versus ukrainian village or um the polish part of town that's because people are immigrating and it's like oh this is where the 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 poles are living and this is where the ukrainians are living so i'm gonna go live by them black people don't go oh this is where the black people are living so i'm gonna go hang out over here it's very much an economic right society yeah which all the
0: which government you know without taking into account all of the all of the things all of the bias, all of the systematic racism, all the prejudice, all the bigotry. Without taking that into account, it just perpetuates. Bring it oh, back. Look,
2: all, Bring of, it
0: back. all of these
2: politicians are, are, for the most part, are relatively smart people. Nothing in politics is coincidence. We do not have what we have right now because things just by happenstance escalated to where we have now. It's there's there's a reason why the education system in this country is funded on property taxes. And mm. if you live in a poor neighborhood, property taxes are low.
1: In the north, especially.
2: Yeah. And oh, here in LA. and one of, the, one of the best examples I can use, and this is going back a, a long way, so this might not be actual current now, but it was when I was in college. Um, I went to school at, at DePaul in Chicago. Um, and about 45 minutes north, There was a very wealthy town. um, And I I did a paper on affirmative action and um, uh, disparities in in education and employment. Um, And when I was doing my research, I found this city that was about 45 minutes north of Chicago, very wealthy affluent city. College or the school, the high school was like, mad modern they had dal jones barrington i don't remember the name i would know it if i heard it but i forget now this is like
1: it's not Barrington.
2: it was like a long time ago um but it was they had like a dal jones hookup in their school and like the kids were taught the stock market and this whole bit and it's like wild like you are training these kids to run the world right this is great but you go 45 minutes Southeast in the opposite direction to East St. Louis, Illinois, and or East St. Louis, Illinois. Um, and this the school districts were, some of them didn't have running water, they didn't have enough books, kids were sharing books. Some of the classes were held in trailers because some of the classrooms were so dilapidated. Um, kids were learning how to, they were learning typing on typewriters. By the way, this is not 1980 something. This is like 2000, five or six or something. Um, so we're talking massive, massive education disparities. And even then I, I it, it was apparent that, oh, this is definitely government setting up, like deciding these are going to be the successful people who run the world. And these are going to be the people who work for them and who clean their offices. And they need to create that divide going back to the whole, conversation about capitalism they need to create that divide because who's gonna clean your office who's gonna collect your trash if everybody is educated Um, so that it's not a coincidence that our education system sucks and if you're rich you get a great education and if you're not you don't that's not a coincidence it's not a coincidence that our college education system is like you have it's extraordinarily expensive and if you can pay in cash because you're from a wealthy family, you have a whole bunch of advantages because one, you don't come out of school with debt. You probably also can get a bunch of testing so that your SATs can be higher so you can get into a better school. And then, you know, you're paying for that. So you're, 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 the network that you're meeting at these other schools is stronger. You're getting into different industries. It also means that if you are from a wealthy family, and you want to take that unpaid internship in D.C. on the Hill or that low paid internship on D.C. on the Hill or in Hollywood in, in the entertainment industry. You can afford to do that because your parents are going to pay your rent and they're going to pay your car insurance and they're going to make sure that you're OK. So you can afford to take that ten dollar an hour internship or that unpaid internship that's for school credit. Yeah. If you are from that other school district, you you're not going to get any of that right and even if you did get through your school and got into a college h- how are you going to take that low paid or unpaid influential internship that you necessarily need in these competitive industries you can't because how are you going to pay your bills how are you going to eat how are you going to do any of these things politics is so,
0: very very guilty of this so i have a question oh, hold on Keith, hold on I was, yeah. I was talking to one of my neighbors the other day he works for a Senator in in Cali, and he was like, you know, like the starting out it's really hard because it was like twenty seven k a year or something. You can't get a look at a place for twenty seven k a year. Like I don't even know how you would live in most cities in the country, no. let alone LA. So you have to have mommy and daddy's money yeah. in order to be able to get to, and that's the break into the ground floor of politics. Like it's it's built to keep people out.
2: Look, I'm not saying they don't exist by any means, but I am going to tell you that my time in D.C., I was there for four and a half or five years. I didn't know anybody um, that came from a poor background, middle class, sure, but I didn't know anybody who came from a poor background who had a great internship with a senator or a congressman or whatever, living on the hill not a single one I'm not saying they didn't exist i'm sure they did i didn't know everybody in dc but i worked in politics and i didn't know a person um i myself had to turn down a, a, an internship at the irish parliament when i was in college because i would have had to have lived in dublin for a semester i also had to pay rent i was planning on going to law school i had to figure out savings for that and i worked at a restaurant so the reality of like yes i would get a stipend doing this internship, but I wouldn't be saving anything. I would still have to pay my rent back in Chicago. I couldn't do it, I had to turn it down. Um, I think like 10 people uh, around the country were selected for this internship or something and I was Mm -hmm. one of them and um, I had to turn it down because I just didn't have the access. That would not be the case for some of these other people and that's by design and that's Mm -hmm. that's all I'm saying is that this stuff is not Mm -hmm. coincidental. So when we talk about bootstraps, gotta talk about that.
1: Yeah. So I have to ask this question as we have thirteen minutes left, and I oh gosh, think it's going to be the last one before Rodney asks his final question because I think it's going to be a deep one. Your grandparents in concentration camps instituted by the Nazi government. We talk about school systems. We talk that have been built by state and local governments as well as federal governments to segregate economically and create one of the worst first world country education systems in in the world. You have MOVE, the bombing um, instituted by local government in Philadelphia to disperse uh, activism. What place does government play?
2: Um, before I even try to answer that, I want to also add in the fact that so many black quote unquote, extreme activists were either killed in their home or put in jail. Mm -hmm. Um, Shakur, um, I mean, the list, I'm not even going to list them all. There's Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. I mean, it goes. It just goes on. Angela Davis. It just goes on and on that people were arrested or murdered. Um, Fred Hampton. I mean, it just goes on. The the
1: uh, leaders of equality get assassinated yeah. in this country. Yes.
2: So I think um, what role does government play? The role that government plays is should be. It is. This is not the role that they play. The role that they should play is should be servants of the people that send them to office, not rulers of the people who send them to office. And that is what we have. We have a bunch of people in a building that are rulers of this country, and they're supposed to be representatives. We're supposed to have a representative democracy, and um, we don't. We send people to office based on a bunch of promises that we all know they're not going to keep. And then they get into office and because they have a D or an R behind their name, we continue to support them. And, um, they help the I mean, look at the, the, the business loans that came out with COVID. The first round went to major corporations. I have friends who run their own small businesses and they're still waiting on Mm -hmm. money, um, Meanwhile, like, I don't know, Boeing got money. Like, it, it's crazy that the people who get money um, and it's both sides who are doing that. I mean, I, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but Liz Warren runs about on how she hates, you know, she's not, she doesn't believe in corporate uh, America. She wants to fight the corporate, the corporate monster and protect the the individuals but then she votes to fund the XM Import Bank, which is basically it's colloquially known as the the Bank of Boeing because the vast majority of the bank's money goes to big corporations, not to small businesses. So I think government's role is to it's it's to do the will of the people. We put them there to do our bidding. To do our uh, what we want in place, and yes, that's going to be different, you know, on a federal level because different people in different parts of the country are going to vote for people who ideally support those ideals. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I'm in California or if I'm in Arkansas. All of our people still support prison industrial complex. They still support military industrial complex. They still support unions and and. Uh, um, corporate greed and and i mean we couldn't even put a freeze a moratorium on rent or mortgages during a time where 22 million people are without work because of a pandemic we didn't even want to freeze we put a pause on evictions great big deal so three months four months after the lockdown comes up people are months back on rent and then and they careful. get then they get evicted
0: they get instead
2: careful. of now but we don't care about that.
0: We, um, we, as we the reason we will I, when everybody's on the street. And we're like,
2: oh, what all, <laughs> No, <people laughs> Rodney. I, no, Rodney. They're already on the street.
0: That's true. There that's are
2: true. ten cities everywhere around Los Angeles. Yeah. And Mitchell Farrell does nothing. Garcetti does nothing. Newsom does nothing. Nobody does anything. It's because true. they're not there for us. They're there for them.
1: There's and, this... Um, and the reason I asked that question, because we've... We've deferred to the system, which is um, a, a belief that the system is doing what it is designed to do. And in essence, it is based on the people that are in power. Oh, this but works. <laughs> it does. But the system that the ideal, like you said, that, that was supposed to be put in place um, for some at the time, did then what it was supposed to do. And we defer to these things, and the question then comes, okay, so the system is clearly not working for everybody the way it was supposed to. I see government playing a check and balance to a, a an economic system, right? Um, socialism or, or or democracy or our government institutions that are hand in hand with an economic system like capitalism, though we've somehow become a capitalist government, which is amazing. Um and it totally ruins everything. So how do we get to a place where our government comes back to serving
0: the people? So can I can I say something super quick? Yeah. It never has. It never has. The premise of that question is off it was built on people's backs. It was built on displacing indigenous Americans. It was built on mm-hmm. ca- and on chattel, chattel slavery. Like that's the fundamental principle. Like people call it the original sin. It's not the original sin. Mm-hmm. It's the fundamental principle of this you know, country. every
2: Every mm-hmm. July 4th, we celebrate Independence Day, which is literally a marking of celebrating the genocide of a native people so that we could claim independence of their land. Like, it's bonkers. It's totally bonkers. I'm not saying don't celebrate, July. I'm not, cel- I'm not saying don't celebrate your nation. But I am saying, let's keep things in perspective. What are we and let's celebrating? Be, and let's yeah. be honest about what it is we're doing. Um, and if you really want to change, to, to answer your, your your question, Keith, if you, if you want to change how to get the government to work for the people, I'm going to tell you that the, the very first and most obvious step is major, major, major overhaul of campaign finance. Mm-hmm. As long as I agree there. As long as campaigns are funded by individuals or packs, as long as it is not a national fund that everybody gets dispersed equally and you're all working off of the same amount of money. And as long as it's about who can donate the most, it's always going to be the laws are always going to be for who can donate the most. That's always going to be the case. You gotta get all Public money, or I'm sorry, all private money, out of politics.
1: It- I just heard the other day that Susan Collins, um, the person running against Susan Collins in in Maine, raised seventeen million dollars last month.
0: Like in a month.
1: In a month. For 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 a for a state senator, so why why like why wouldn't
0: ads for for politicians be free on like public access? Well, you got to make. I'm gonna go off on a
2: tangent. I'm sorry. I know we're running short on time, but you got to, you have to make news media mandated nonprofit. You have to make our healthcare mm. system mandated nonprofit. You have to make our education system mandated nonprofit. Anything that is crucial and vital to American life, to 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 em- empowering people, has to be made nonprofit. Because when you put in the, the the profit side of things, all ethics goes out the door, and it becomes about money. But so human animal. You, you yeah. So yeah.
0: I've, man, yeah. police, healthcare, and then that would change how we look at nonprofits. Everything that would be wild. Everything. Because- <laughs> Jason, I want to, th- first, thank you. I learned a couple things, which, I mean, I guess that typically happens, but I learned some things. Thank you for breaking down cronyism for everybody uh, and just opening up on the story. Like, a lot of good stuff here. Um, yeah. This was fun. Was thank fun. you for joining us. You got to stop being so engaging so we can have more interviews <laughs> and less prep time. Uh, um,
2: bring me back on. Bring me back on. We'll talk uh, yes. we'll talk again. Um give me a year.
0: We actually so really like it. talking about politics. Yeah. Most people don't. Most people shy away from right. it because it's politics and it's so it's got to be contentious. So, yeah, I think we definitely will have you back. We like to close every episode with the same question and that is how do you what do you want to leave this audience with? Uh, you know, my my my
2: life's motto is basically to leave things better than they were when you arrived, to 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 give more than you take. And I hope that after hearing this conversation, listeners might, you know, look into some of those books that we discussed earlier, into some like look into move, look into some of these things that have happened. And even if you disagree with what I'm saying, I hope that I would leave you with a desire to look into this stuff at a deeper level than what we're shown on the nightly news and to actually question what it is that you're being told and to know that you as an individual can absolutely make a difference. You won't make the difference and you like get over your ego if that's what you want. Cause like you're not going to make the difference, but you can make absolutely, you can be a ripple in a series of ripples. Um, that, you know, hopefully long after we're gone, no one's going to remember who we were, Um, but hopefully some stuff that we did will have lasting impact, even if they don't know that it's us.